If you don't mind, go ahead and stay standing for the reading of God's Word. This is Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 and following. Uh, You can have it in your booklet again, or you can turn in your scriptures. Of course, you've got your electronical, electronical, not a word, your electronic devices. This is Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then he said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon the holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from a pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. As Will was saying, we're finally out of chapter 1. We are now in chapter 2, and it really is amazing. Um, Every year, a group of friends and I hike up a, a mountain called Mount Ethan. That's not its real name. That's the name that we gave it because that's how cool we are. Um, we just forsake geolo- geology. And um, so anyway, we just we covet this, this hike. So much so is that when I was in charge of college students or even high school students, I would strap, you know, waters and backpacks on them and hike them up the exact same trail. And I would hike them to the top of this mountain to oversee this, this beautiful veranda for the, for the sake of reading Psalm, or Isaiah 40. I would go to all that effort just to read one chapter of Scripture. In the same way, we would take people to this old historic trestle and we'd have them look at this thing that looks like it's, it's, it's still strong and that it's still old only to realize that to teach the lesson that they too have a legacy that will outlive them and outlive their very life. In the same way that we would hike to a cemetery and sit at the top of a headstone and stare at some person and some date that we've never met or will never meet, only for the sake of telling them or teaching them that this life is short and they need to to make a difference. Maybe we would take these same kids to, into a cave where it's as dark as dark can be. You can't even see the hands in front of your face. With a simple idea that that's our wicked heart and that they've never seen their heart like that before. You see, as a teacher, we would go to great lengths and we would, go to, and we would pride ourselves in setting an environment so that our kids or these college students would be able to get the lesson. They knew the idea, they knew the concept, but could they really have it sunk down into their life? We wanted these kids to get it, 
not just know it. And there's a big, big difference between getting it and knowing about it. This is Jonah chapter 2. This is Jonah chapter 2 because the classroom has been set. Jonah chapter 2 is we see the belly of a fish. Classrooms are amazing. We've all been there, most of us, uh, at least over five years old. We all understand what a classroom's like. There's classrooms, there's teachers, there's lessons plans, there's a whiteboard. I mean, just we, we kind of, we understand these types of things. But we have to believe that our teacher, or we have to believe that the professor with the syllabus and in front of the lectern knows where he is about to start and knows where he is about to end. That's imperative. That that guy or that gal knows where we're going to start and where we're going to finish. That's essential. Because a teacher, a good teacher, takes us all on a journey. A journey that we can't take ourselves. Our journey to help us explain kind of the big ideas of life, but also being introspective. Having us kind of examining, examining our own hearts. That's what today is about kind of the bigness of, and the understanding that you're so much smaller than, than, than the universe and especially smaller than the Lord. But then also being very, very introspective to actually seeing your heart for what it is. So we're going to go big and then we're also going to go small because that's what teachers try to do over and over and over again. Jonah chapter 2 is, an, uh, I would say, an, a little bit unorthodox of a classroom. None of us have been sw swallowed and have lived in the belly of a fish, right? Uh, so we don't see any number two pencils here, right? There's no desks. There's no Mrs. McCormick, you know, saying, this is what a parallelogram is, people. I mean, so like we, 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 we know those types of lectures. We've sat underneath it. But this is still a classroom. Minus the desks, minus the number two pencils, right? Minus the whiteboard, the smart boards, minus all of these things. But this is still a classroom. And what we see is that the, the Father, our Lord, Yahweh, is our teacher. And he truly knows where we're going to start and where we're going. God positions himself as the one that's in authority here. And we are the students, right? And we are here looking at Jonah, learning about his, his self. And so Jonah has a couple of things to learn. I've said it before, but we'll say it again just out of repetition. He has to understand the bigness. He's got to get that God is bigger than him. That he literally, literally cannot run from the presence of the Lord. That's happened three times in chapter 1 alone. He cannot run from God's presence. But then also, we need to see our heart for our heart's sake. We have to understand that our hearts are wicked, and our hearts are deep, and our hearts can, can, can um, run from us. And so there's different ways that we can learn, right? And so the old classical model is that there's, there's a grammar level, and there's a logic level, right? And then there's a rhetoric level, uh, level and we get that. We've heard all kinds of teachers say, see one, and then do one, and then teach one, and that's just how you make that work. Um, so scientists, they have, they have uh, set aside our brain and our abilities into three separate uh, categories. You are either an auditory learner, you are either a visual learner, or you are a kinesthetic learner, okay? First and foremost, the auditory uh, learners. These are people that love lectures. They love to listen to podcasts. They love to watch TED Talks, those kinds of things. They cannot get enough information. These are the people that say, okay, tell me what you're about to say. 
tell me what you said, or tell me, and then tell me what you said. I mean, they're just, they're auditory learners. They just listen, and they just absorb these concepts. These are people that love questions and like to answer them internally. And if you're kind of nodding up and down, guess what? You're an auditory learner, right? Any auditory learners out there, don't be ashamed. These are good people, right? You don't have to banish them, right? These are all, these are all God's children. Raise them, anybody? Any auditory? Yeah, uh, there it is. DMAC has been on vacation. He's still an auditory learner because he's listening. See that? You know, he didn't take a break. You look good, by the way. You look good, Daniel McIntosh. All right, then you've got, you've got people that are vision there. Like they're visual learners, right? These are people that want a handout. Like they would just want to see something. They love the whiteboard. They love to draw. They, if you get, give them a handout, they want to make sure that there's margins because they want to put their flair on things and they want to write in the, their mar, the margins, those kinds of things. They gravitate toward things like a booklet of Jonah and they circle things twice and they draw lines and those kinds of things. So if you are like a visual learner, like you love highlighters, right? Those kind of circles, squares, you know what the circles or the squares mean. All that stuff, that means that you're probably a visual learner, right? Some of you are vi- visual. But then there's these, this third category, this idea that there's kinesthetics, right? Or, or tactile, right? That you actually need to touch or smell or be immersed into something to gain your attention, right? These are people that just, this, this, they can't stop like touching things or feeling things or the, the texture is important to them in order for them to get it. These are people that, that build with Legos or take away, take apart vacuum cleaners on purpose just to understand how it works. You know, those kinds of people, these are tactile or kinesthetic people, right? If you're a father in here, right, and you've ever tried to put together like a trampoline or something like that, you are a kinesthetic learner. You know why? Because you say, I don't need those instructions, and I don't need anybody to show me. I'll do it myself, right? Because you can put building blocks together. This is what it means to be kinesthetic. The same way with surgeons. Surgeons just love to cut, right? And to sew, right? This is just our carpenters, right? These guys that just get their hands dirty, and they just love it because they understand the process by touching, feeling, smelling. Well, guess what? Jonah chapter 2 is a kinesthetic, all right? It is an immersive moment for Jonah. There is no other way to pound this lesson into Jonah other than immerse him someplace. In the end of chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, we read this verse, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is experiential learning. This is tactile. This is kinesthetic. This is in the belly of a well or a big fish to get your attention. And it's important. And God has always, he's, he's liked this approach a lot. He gives us his word so he knows that we're visual and he, know, he speaks to us so he knows that we're auditory. But he also, don't forget Adam and Eve, he, he, he does what first? He creates the garden, and then he places his pupils in the middle of the garden. This is kinesthetic. This is experiential. In the same way that baptism, baptism needs to be felt, right? You need to feel the cool water wash over you because we need to, our brains to be enacted because our brains and our, and our, 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 our sen- sensory nodes need, are connected to our hearts. And every single week, you and I approach the communion table. 
It's not that we haven't heard that Jesus died for us. It's that we need to be reminded that Jesus died for us. We have no problem mentally understanding that Jesus died for our sins. And yet, when you come up and you take a piece of loaf, right, or you hear a cracker crunch in your mouth, or you taste what juice feels like, that will gain, get your attention better than almost anything because now you are involved in the process. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus will do and continue to do for us, whether we're auditory or visual, or here in chapter two, we're kinesthetic, where we got to be a part of the process to understanding. So this morning, we get to see the transformation of Jonah. We've seen him rebel. We've seen him run from the presence of the Lord. We've seen him literally go in the opposite direction of the place that he has been commissioned to. We see him spend his own money to buy a ticket, you know, to get on a boat, to get him away from the presence of the Lord. He is a naughty, naughty boy. He needs to go to the principal's office, right? I mean, he is a a pretty rebellious uh, student, But in chapter 2, we start to see a transformation in Jonah. We stop seeing this running motion. And he literally has to stop because he's been stopped in his tracks. We start seeing this transformation slowly but surely. And so where is the transformation in his heart? One is to understand that God is sovereign over all things. Over all things, God is sovereign. And the second thing we'll learn is that Sometimes, you know, for our hearts to truly melt, you know, our situations have to get bad before they get worse. And so those are the only two things we'll talk about this morning. So first and foremost, God's sovereignty. Let's pick it up again, verse 17 and following. Here it is. And so the Lord appointed a great fish. All right, so this, this, you just, if you've got your journals or whatever, and you're kind of visual, you want to circle that this is the Lord doing this action. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord for the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord for my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This is Jonah, as far as Jonah can be, in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea, in the belly of the whale, and yet we still hear or we get to see the ear of the Lord, that in the darkest, dampest, worst place, that the Lord still hears us. And then verse 3, it's interesting. Jonah is saying, these are Jonah's words, for you, this is Yahweh, this is the Lord, for you cast me into the deep. That's interesting, right? Jonah is crediting not the sailors, but crediting the Lord, Yahweh, as the one throwing him overboard. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Once again, your waves and your billows. So the first thing that we see coming out of Jonah's heart, or this understanding of this lesson, is that he believes that God is bigger than him. That God is sovereign, that he reigns and rules. So sovereign is a big word, right? And so just look at it, right? Just look at the etymology of the word sovereign, and you can see in the middle of the word, the word reign, all right? Sovereignty, all right? And so the word reign, we may not understand sovereignty, but we may understand the word reign. Reign, rule, reign, kingship, queenship, reign, authority, those types of things. Again, the textbook 
understanding of this is important, but this is not what Jonah needs. John, Jonah needs to feel God's sovereignty. Jonah needs to understand, like to be immersed in the fact that God is sovereign over all things. And bubbling out of Jonah's mouth is that he is giving credit to God's sovereignty, that he is reigning and ruling, he has all authority. I mean, like the, the creation has to bow down at God's very word. And so this is what we see. Again, it's not textbook, right? Jonah had whipped that. He had conquered that definition. He had aced that test. And yet still he needed this experience to understand God's sovereignty. But the Lord, verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish. It gets even deeper because this word is interesting, the word appointed. This idea is that the Lord is in action before the action occurs. That makes sense? Before, I mean, everybody gets this idea that uh, there's, a, there's a big fish, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the number one notion of this, of this book, is that there is a great fish. But before there's a fish, there has to be the Lord, right? And so that's what sovereignty is, is that the Lord is actually causing the fish to do certain things. Before we can go into our training with Ludi this afternoon, before we can understand what evangelism is, is that we have to understand that the heart of God is evangelistic. He has been on mission before we are on mission. And we have to get our hearts enraptured, not with this idea of a duty, but this idea of delight that we have, we have first been pursued by the sovereign king of glory before we're able to share with the world. God is on mission. He is the one who did it first. He is one that has created this entire scenario. And so he modeled it first. And so the pause that the Lord appointed is that he is our teacher and that he has set the classroom. This is not the only time that we see that the Lord appointing things, that he is literally, that he is in his constraints, that he is able to do things. Three other times, he, he appoints a fish, he appoints a worm, he appoints a plant, and he appoints a, an east wind. God is in control. He is over all things. And this word appoint is likened to a teacher. This word appoint is likened to a classroom. This word appoint is likened to a lesson. And so in all four cases, whether it be a fish or an east wind, whether it be a worm or a plant, this is God creating an environment. This is God creating a classroom for you and I to get the point. Some commentaries go so strong to say that there is no other place that Jonah could have received this message than in this place because God has appointed it. If God had gone to this much effort, it had to be perfect and perfect for Jonah. Think about the care of a sovereign God who's over all things, but that had been able to create all of these details just for Jonah's heart. God's heart is a missionary heart. God's heart is a heart of pursuit, and he will go to drastic measures to wake us up. 
And so, yes, like relinquishing all control to a sovereign king, I understand, can be scary. But when you release it and you recognize it, you realize that you're in the care of a, not just a teacher, not just a syllabus, but the one who knows both the beginning and the end. And he's setting the principles and he's setting the playbook just for you. It really is amazing. And so what is your current classroom look like? What does your current classroom smell like? Look around at just the season that you're in and begin slowly but surely to give credit to the Lord for that season or for that thing. Some of us are in pretty hard seasons. Some of us are in pretty dark seasons. We you know, we, we just, man, we respond really well to Jonah in a dark place. But some of us have rejected that that's God's classroom for us. This morning, we want you to see God's reigning over all of our situations. He can handle it, right? But he's purposeful with it. So as the sailors are counting to three, right? And like, one, two, three, kapoosh. And he's in the Mediterranean Sea. And as they're like, and the sea, they see the sea like, go like peace, like glass. And they're like, did you see that? That dude went in and this sea went, like went silent. I mean, we're talking gale force winds, hurricane, like nothing, just like that. I mean, talk about a whale of a tail. I mean, these sailors with all of their flavor and all of their language, can you hear them tell that story? So we took this guy like by the ankles and by the wrist and we knew we shouldn't count to three, but we did. And so we just one, two, three, closed our eyes so we wouldn't be, you know, like a red light. Like we didn't see it, officer. We didn't see it. And then he just went down into the ocean and the ocean was like coming over the boat and then it just stopped. And the kids are like, it stopped. It stopped, like stopped. So as they're rejoicing and everything's great up top, poor Jonah is sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the belly, not of a fish yet, but to the belly of the Mediterranean Sea. Joker can't swim. He's scared to death and he just sinks. The well is significant and he gets all of the accolades and all the graphic art and all that stuff. But the darkness before the darkness, the coldness you know, before the well, the fear before the deliverance is what was the first key that Jonah was awake. And that as Jonah sank, we believe that Jonah was not alone, but instead that he was being pursued by a holy God. So Jonah's life is in jeopardy for sure. Drowning was inevitable, for sure. But the Lord had not forgotten Jonah. He had appointed something so very wonderful for us. The Lord is not... Appointing a whale is not the only thing that the Lord is credited for. You see, that's the, that's, that's the delightful side of things. Right? That's, that's the beautiful side of things. Let's keep going in chapter, or chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. These are some other things that, these are the less delightful and maybe even the more skeptical of the things that are credited to the Lord. And we, we have to see both. 
if we're going to understand God's sovereignty, not just the delightful side, but also the skeptical side as well. 2 verse 1 says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. That's the delightful side. So verse 3 is troublesome to all of us, that the Lord is credited, for you cast me into the deep, for you cast me into the heart of the sea, for you allowed the flood to surround me, verse 3 says. It continues, that all of your ways, Lord, waves, Lord, and all of your billows, Lord, passed over me. Verse 3 is not the delightful side of God's sovereignty, but I mean, the, the, the problematic part of God's sovereignty is that if he is in charge of all things and he does send deliverance in the form of a fish, but what about throwing the joker in the sea to begin with? It's not the sailors that Jonah is looking at. It's God himself, for you cast me into the sea. This is in Scripture, right? Not only cast me into the sea, but you allowed the sea and the billow and the waves to crash over me and allow me to sink. This is coming out of Jonah's heart. What about that side? God in his sovereignty is credited not just for the deliverance of the fish, but also something that looks like detriment, looks like death to Jonah. Is this cruel of God? Is God cruel? That's for you to answer. But I believe in our understanding of God's sovereignty. That we realize that he's not cruel. He's creating a scenario or a situation that will get our attention. Because that is a part of his grace. Do we believe that the Lord has deliberate actions that potentially may cause us harm? I'm not saying these are easy questions. I'm just saying these are questions we have to ask. We believe that in the same way that the fish is not a picture of judgment, but a picture of deliverance. In the same way that being cast into the sea is not a place necessarily of judgment, but a place of deliverance. Because what is on trial here is not just some joker being you know, alive or dead, but what is on trial and what the most important thing is Jonah's heart. And God knew that he was going after Jonah's heart, Jonah's rebellious heart, and he had to be put in a place that he had to recognize God's sovereignty. You see, this is, a, this is a picture of God's pursuit of us. So yes, it looks like death, and yes, it looks like judgment, but this is God's pursuit of us. For God so loved the world that he, it looks pretty rough, the following part of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. He would not give unless he had to give. And he had to give the way he gave because he loved us. In the same way that Jesus is pursuing our hearts this morning is the same way through a dark trial that God is um, pursuing Jonah. 
And so we have to hold in our understanding of, of our sovereignty of God, we have to hold both God's act of mercy, the deliverance of, of the fish, but also his active discipline in our life. He loves us that much that he will not leave us alone. That is God's heart. And so I'll ask it again. So what is the situation that is too hard or too dark to see God's hand? What part of your life or what season is too hard or too dark to give credit to God's hand? Although we don't believe that God appoints evil, we do know that the Lord appoints a fish to swallow up Jonah, and that's the only way to get his attention. Verse 4 and following says this, And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The, work, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, they were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down into the land whose bars were closed before me. All right, so the second thing that you have to understand in understanding like this, the heart of Jonah is that it's got to get bad and it's got to get worse before it gets better, all right? This, these are really, really strong verses, all right? So in my distress, I called to the Lord. From the belly of Sheol, you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. These are not pleasant. These are not directional. If you are drawing a line in your scripture, all of these words are heading down. They're all negative right? The waves and the billows, they passed over me. Gurgle, 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 gurgle. This is, this is again, from your, driven away from your sight, still a large downward arrow. Away from, driven away from the sight, shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. There's weeds now, all right? It's not just waves. There's now weeds. So you just thought the water was bad, but what about like choking on seaweed? That's bad. So the weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots. So not just weeds, but now we're tangled up in some like Mediterranean like rainforest down there. And so there's, there's, there's weeds and now there's roots at the bottom of the mountain that I went down to the land whose bars, now I'm in prison, were upon me forever. It's got to get bad sometimes before it gets worse. The thing that Jonah had to understand was first and foremost his desperation before the Lord. His chronic need for Jesus his chronic need for the Lord. And there's nothing like a wake-up call for you to get your heart straight. This is an honest man talking about honest things. And he's not sugarcoating it whatsoever. He is in a really, really bad place. He's driven away. And he's cast down. And he's in prison. And it's dark. And he's claustrophobic. There's death. He doesn't know. I mean, he's just, he's just swimming in whale stuff. I mean, he's just, it's bad, right? And so the, all the darkness and all the claustrophobic is this idea that Jonah was trying to flee the presence of the Lord. In our hearts, when, we're try, when we volition, when we, on purpose, when we disobey the Lord and we're walking away from his precepts, Sometimes it's gracious for him to show us exactly where we are walking. We are now seeing in technicolor what darkness and the depths 
and what stain looks like. This is running from the Lord. He truly has no hope. So to flee from the Lord and seek your own freedom has no merit whatsoever. However, our, our passage just doesn't leave us with despair. Verse 16 says, Even though there's weeds wrapped around our heads and the mountain roots of the mountains, I went down into the land whose bars were closed forever before me. I'm a visual learner, so yet you is circled in my Bible. Yet you. This is God's credit. Yet you. This is the Lord. Brought me up. Brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. This is another arrow. And it's not pointing down. This is another arrow that's screaming, I mean like a rocket, screaming. As, as far down as you can go, and as dark as you are, yet you brought my life from a pit, O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came before you into my holy temple. Verse 9, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice and I have vowed to pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord with an exclamation mark. Salvation belongs to the Lord and he is experiencing this. From the belly of the well, this is what he is praying. That full deliverance comes from the Lord and the Lord only. This is, it has to get bad before it gets worse. Right before it gets better. And the idea that Jonah... In the depths of the sea and the depths of the belly, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. There's a terrible notion in East Tennessee that you've got to get all cleaned up before you get to come to God. There's a terrible notion that you've got to get your act together before God will listen to you. That's not true. That's not true. You can go to Jonah chapter 2 and say, there's a holy and a beautiful and a merciful God who will pursue you in your hardest seasons, in your darkest seasons. He can handle your deepest and your darkest secrets, and he can handle your deepest and your darkest rebellion. And he doesn't bat an eye. In fact, he will set up an entire classroom just for you to bring you back to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Salvation is from me. Just give me credit. Salvation is from me. I want to bring you close. Salvation is from the Lord. And so we often look at pain very differently. We look at pain as if it's something terrible. Maybe sometimes the darkest, hardest, most painful places is a place that God will redeem and will use to bring back to himself. They say that if you're a quadriplegic, that um, you are in danger of, of, of dying from pretty minor things. Maybe an ingrown toenail or a UTI or something that seems pretty minor, mainly because they've lost their nerve endings and they can't feel the initial pain that would make us recognize, like, oh, something's up. And so pain is a part of God's grace. And pain is a part of God's pursuit of us. If we see pain as just something of the devil or something that is unearthly, 
We need to read chapter 2 and say, sometimes pain is the way that God gains our attention so that we can give credit. This is a man that's on his knees in the belly of a well that's praising God, that's saying salvation is from you and you alone. Pain is a holy angel. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Pain is a holy angel that shows us, who shows us treasures that we would otherwise remain forever hidden. I'll read it again. Pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Through this pain, men and women have become greater than through all of the joys of this world. He could easily be quoting Jonah chapter 2. Next week, we'll talk about the salvation that, become, that comes from the Lord. But today, we just need to sit that God is big, bigger and reigning. And that he will oftentimes use pain, painful things in our life, to right those things that are wrong. Jonah is significant because it's written in the scriptures. Jonah then is like double significant when Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, quotes him. And quotes him, quotes Jonah, in referencing his death and resurrection so that we can have hope in a future. And so in the same way that Jesus was cast into the depths, so we, so we see Jonah thrown, right, into the depths. And so in the same way that um, we hear Jonah cry, we're able to hear Jesus cry. And in the same way we have Jesus crying out to the Father, we hear Jonah cry out to the Father. The point of this table is the idea that mortal men and women like you and I, or like Jonah, can be representatives all day long, but Jonah just still kind of ended up being an amazing prophet, right, who got a book in the Bible. But he still died, and he still wasn't able to overcome our, our ultimate need, which is the f- complete forgiveness and the complete wholeness because of our sin and shame. And that's why we need a greater Jonah. His name is Jesus. And so even though Jonah went to the depths, Jesus went even farther into the depths for you and I. And even though he lost a lot, Jonah, or Jesus lost everything. Salvation does come from the Lord. It belongs to the Lord, and we see this in Jesus. So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a piece of bread, and he broke it. He says, this is my life given for you. And in this giving, he says, throw me overboard. Allow my body to become a sacrifice for you. But to make the image even more graphic, he then takes a cup of wine, And he passes it to his disciples. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood poured out for you. And so his body dismantled, his blood spilled, poured out for us. His body shattered. These types of imageries is that this picture of incompleteness actually becomes what is complete about this moment. That we're all Jonah. We're all running from God. We're all hoping in ourselves. We're all swimming in a nasty place. We're all there because of our sin and our shame. And we need a rescuer. In the Old Testament, God sent a well to, see, uh, to teach Jonah a lesson. In the New Testament, we have a greater Jonah. He sends Jesus to con- 
complete the process to forgive our sin and forgive our shame. So this morning, in the season of darkness, don't run away from God. Run toward him. In this day of darkness, maybe you haven't had a great day or a weekend. This is not a time to run away from the Lord, but to run toward him. Because this meal is representative of all things beautiful and complete because this is a table of forgiveness. Cast your distress upon the Lord and he will rescue you. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that this will become a holy moment for men and women and children, teenagers, middle schoolers. They will not run from you, but will run toward you. Help us to seek your holy mountain, to seek your holy face, and to rest on you, Jesus, as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what no man or no woman was able to do, was ultimately, finally, get rid of all of our sin and shame. Forgive us so that we can be welcomed into the presence of a holy God. We ask this in your good name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and stand. Now we have um, some, some guys all around the room that are just going to serve communion. So we have uh, stations out front and I'll, or out in the back, and I'll be up front. And so, um, but just do not feel rushed this morning. Uh, truly, spend some time with the Lord. Overlook, you know, look over some of those passages that we sang even and just see the depths. And, but when you're ready... You know, to come and approach this table, not with shame, but with victory, because this is what Jesus has done for us. So these tables are now open. Come whenever you feel free. Mm -hmm.